I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome to our daily podcast the author of A Case for the American People, The United States v. Donald J. Trump, Norman Eisen. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. Alexander, wonderful to be with you. Thanks for having me. Let me ask you, you were involved in the legal case against Donald Trump uh, from the United States House of Representatives. Um, were you satisfied with the extent to which Donald Trump was investigated uh, or were the efforts to block your subpoenas um, you know, basically uh, making your, your investigation um, not what it should have been? Uh, well, um, the investigation was curtailed, um, but the fortunate thing about the Ukraine impeachment investigation was that so many brave people stepped forward to describe the ways in which, each from their own perspective, they saw the president or those around him uh, attempt to uh, assault the rule of law. Uh, they came from the State Department, um, my old place of employment, and many of them were friends of mine from another place I used to work, the White House, former colleagues there as well. And those uh, brave witnesses really succeeded in busting the Trump blockade when it came to the Ukraine investigation. So I think we were able to get a substantial amount of the truth out. One of the areas that Bob Mueller, it's clear at this point, and the House of Representatives um, were not able to pursue was uh, Donald Trump's personal finances and, and the extent to which governing decisions uh, were being influenced by uh, specific financial transactions over these past years from the Trump enterprise, from the Trump organization and Russia, and how much of that relationship actually continued even after the 2016 interference. Would you have been able to have access to that information if the subpoenas had been um, honored and you would have been able to uh, see the, the tax records and other financial data that would have given you clarity on that question? The, the place where the investigation probably was the most frustrated was hampered. Um, was uh, when it comes to the full scope of what Bob Mueller should have looked at. We didn't, we didn't even get all the information on what he did look at because, for example, um, the Department of Justice uh, refused to share grand jury materials with us, although we felt that there was a clear legal right to have those materials. Um, in terms of... Um, uh, what Mueller should have looked at, because I don't think he went nearly far enough in his exploration. If we had been able to get the Trump tax returns in a timely fashion, and as you know, that litigation went up to the Supreme Court and the House was successful, and now it's been remanded for further proceedings. It's moving slowly. Um, the uh, state of New York, the New York uh, district attorney, um, 
Mr. Vance has been more successful, but even there, there's another appeal that's going on. Um, he's been faster. Um, you know, everybody uh, would be able to have better visibility on Trump's ties to Russia if we had his taxes. There's no doubt about it. I first started writing about it in fall of 2016, what those taxes would reveal, and we still haven't seen them. So that is a place where uh, the investigators and the country were hampered uh, by um, uh, the uh, president's um, scorched earth litigation strategy, his stalling and his refusal to cooperate. His refusal to cooperate defied the historical norms, uh, if not the letter of the law, of how many presidents prior to Trump? Of, <laughs> of all the presidents prior to Trump, we have never in American history seen a president who has so completely um, refused to cooperate, who has been so honest. He said um, uh, that, that they were gonna fight all the subpoenas and they did. Uh, and uh, from the beginning of his administration to the present moment, um, there has been a, um, uh, 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 he's built a wall all right. It's a, a stone wall uh, of blocking uh, the access to information that is mandated by the Constitution so that the Congress can do its oversight role that has been repeatedly recognized by the courts. So these are stalling tactics. They're delay tactics. They're not ultimately going to be successful. And I think the American people are, have now come to see a distrust uh, the administration, be, in part because of this kind of misbehavior. Do you really believe, though, that accountability will be enforced if Donald Trump is reelected and if the Supreme Court's composition stays the way it is, if not becomes even more devoted to the unitary executive, the, the king president? Well, um, there's there's some realms of accountability uh, that uh, will uh, exist even if the president is reelected. He can't block state prosecutors. Um, the uh, Supreme Court has made clear that he can be investigated by state prosecutors. There's an active investigation going on by the Manhattan DA um, that led to the parallel. Supreme Court case together with the together with the um, the one that um, Congress uh, litigated and won to get his tax returns. Uh, so um, you know, the president is going to face a day of reckoning at a minimum at the hands of the Manhattan DA. Nobody knows how that will come out. We have some idea of the evidence. I think it's compelling evidence of possible misconduct. We'll have to see uh, where the DA goes with it. But uh, I, I believe the president uh, also, if he's in addition, the state is going to befall him no matter what. And he can't self-pardon himself, even if his self-pardon is cognizable. He can't self-pardon himself out of those state claims. So that's the bare minimum. And there could be more at the federal level, depending on the outcome of the election. The, the question of the president and his 
tax records, specifically under scrutiny in New York City, the, the Supreme Court decided um, that the city prosecutor, District Attorney Vance, can proceed, but it has been slow walked ever since that Supreme Court ruling. And, and, the, and the ruling did not really judge whether or not the Congress and the Intelligence Committee and other committees are, are ultimately going to get those same records. But why does it seem like the Supreme Court, at least as we understood at the time, ruled in favor of Vance, and yet the, the path to the grand jury's accessing those records seems to be rather slow. Well, it's, it's already gone through the district court in a matter uh, of a relatively short period of time. Now there's going to be an argument uh, in the appellate court. Um, it's moving quickly now. It's not moving as quickly as we would like. We'd like to see the whole thing resolved before the election, but it could very well continue moving briskly on appeal. Um, and um, the uh, subpoenas have to be answered. Answered. Look, the court system is not built for the likes of Donald Trump. He is like a virus that has attacked the body politic of the rule of law. And um, he's brilliant at exploiting the weaknesses in the system. Speed is not one of its strengths, but um, the wheels of justice uh, grind slow but sure, he is facing accountability. The walls are closing in on him. And that could even happen before the election in New York. We're just going to have to wait and see. You seem awfully optimistic about our capacity to preserve democratic law and order, uh, if you want to call it that, uh, Republican law and order, what was once understood as law and order. Um, however, Everything over these last months and years does make us challenge that we are exceptional in our ability to preserve um, constitutional order. And but but <laughs> you you seem more positive that there will be resolutions and that Donald Trump's ostensible desire to be president for life with impunity uh, will not be acceptable or accepted? Um, I, I do. Um, I do think that um, his approach is inimical to uh, the American idea. And I think a majority of those in our country still embrace that idea firmly. Um, I'm hopeful uh, that, as I write in a case for the American people, that in the ultimate trial uh, to the judges and jury that is the voting public, that come November there'll be a resounding verdict against the president, I think in part because of these rule of law issues. So um, I believe in the, I continue to believe in the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, wisdom and the vision of a majority, not everyone, but a majority of Americans. And I hope that will see us through. I hope they will be persuaded that I've made that case. 
I think you make a persuasive case in your new book, A Case for the American People, the United States v. Donald J. Trump. Um, there is a case that is a referendum on this question uh, in the pure political sense, and then there is the legal sense. But you're, you're someone who has seen in real time the inseparability, however destructive, of law and politics and the willingness of Republicans to go AWOL on law as a political function. Um, you know, what, what besides a resounding defeat for those Republicans, including Trump and his enablers, what do you think would be the legal mechanisms through which that could be accomplished if Donald Trump is elected and if, if the Senate remains in Republican control? And let's even hypothesize for a moment about the possibility that the Republicans take back the House. In, in that confluence of events, which would, would seem to be an exacerbation of the 2016 perfect storm, or even if Donald Trump is just reelected, what do you find outside of state prosecution to be the way in which we can enforce the rule of law? Well, um, I think that it, it is going to be uh, a mighty task to rebuild what has been broken. Uh, but I, I also think that part of the story of the past now almost four years of the Trump administration is the ways in which the, the rule of law has held. Um, the, for all our fears that Trump, Trump's aides would get off with impunity, you've seen um, guilty pleas or criminal sentences uh, for a cluster of his very top lieutenants, uh, his uh, campaign chair, his deputy campaign chair, um, his national security advisor that's under litigation, um, and on and on. Uh, he's exercised uh, his uh, commutation power for Roger Stone, but not for all of them. That shows that he's still uh, is uh, somewhat constrained. Uh, he didn't fire Robert Mueller. Mueller could finish his report. Um, the, um, the courts have slapped aside many a Trump initiative. Um, and uh, the Supreme Court, including two of his handpicked justices, affirmed the right uh, of uh, Congress and the Manhattan DA to subpoena him. So I think that in, in those and a myriad of other ways, the rule of law has proved resilient. And even Donald Trump dares not um, directly defy it. He has not defied a court order. Um, he, uh, when there is a final, he's stalling, but he hasn't said, I'm gonna, I'm simply not gonna recognize the orders of the courts. And um, he, he, the ultimate testimony to the strength of the rule of law is that Trump still, so far, uh, feels constrained to offer reasons why his behavior is legal. To, at one point in the, at the height of the COVID crisis, he said he was going to issue executive orders and other executive directives uh, that apparently would subvert Congress 
in addressing the crisis. But then when we got a hold of the actual executive orders um, uh, addressing financial benefits and other issues for Americans, they had written them in a way that comported with the law. Now, for that reason, they were very ineffective. But the point is, perhaps the ultimate proof of this thesis is that Trump has not yet dared openly, nakedly, and directly defy the rule of law. Right. Although the argument can be made that defiance of the rule of law is not only tear gassing protesters on you know, Pennsylvania Avenue and, and outside the White House, um, defiance of the law can be something that is not explicitly an atrocity or on the verge of becoming an atrocity. Um, and so that's fair. That's fair. It's, it's, that's, it's, let, let me be more semantically precise. He has not so far openly asserted, I will not follow the law. He has not so far defied a final, not appeal, non-appealable order of the courts. Um, he um, has so far has felt compelled to offer a legal justification, however absurd, false, or illogical for his actions. So that shows that the rule of law still has some teeth, not as much as we would like to be sure, not as much as we would like, but I think the story of Trump and the law over the past almost four years is the story of a, uh, a glass uh, more than half full and uh, the Supreme Court rulings on uh, the Vance subpoena and the Mazars, the House subpoena, both for Trump's financial information, um, to me, are, are the latest evidence of that. Fair enough. Um, do you believe that November 3rd, fourth and the subsequent days after the election may be the first time the American people see a more explicit defiance of the rule of law that is the United States Constitution, that is the Electoral College, should Donald Trump lose the election? Uh, I think we are. I, here is how I, I do think we're headed for a very challenging moment. The, the fifth act of the Shakespearean tragic comedy that is the story of Trump. The first act was Russia, are you listening? And all that followed. And um, uh, America was sufficiently revolted by that, that um, Trump's popularity has never um, uh, materially and uh, for an extended period of time, gone above 50%. The second act was a repeat of the first. Ukraine, are you listening? Will you do us a favor, though, to Zelensky? Strikingly similar. That resulted in his impeachment. Um, and again, by the end of the impeachment trial, although the Republicans abdicated their duty, you had 75%, including a ma near majority of Trump's own voters, 75% of Americans saying they wanted to hear witnesses in the trial. So you had people paying attention, interested, in, and wanting to know what had happened. Then the third and fourth acts we've seen, they were 
COVID and the Black Lives Matters protest in which Trump, once again, for purely personal, selfish political reasons, abused his power. Now we're coming to the grand uh, apotheosis of the election. And and I do think that the president is going to do more of the same, the fig leaf of legality for outrageous behavior. We've seen it already with his efforts to break the post office, to stop mail-in balloting, to tell his voters to vote twice so the system um, uh, is undermined. Uh, And I think we're going to see much, much more. But um, I think you're going to see a pretty powerful response to that uh, by all of the the stakeholders. And I don't think the president's going to get away with it. We will, though, have an answer to your question about how far the defiance will go. Do you believe that the margin of victory in the Electoral College and popular vote will make a difference in whether or not Donald Trump attempts to delegitimize the outcome and uh, defy the constitutional order of the Electoral College? I do believe uh, that the margin of victory will be material Um, should Trump lose, to whether he succeeds in challenging the election through anti-democratic means. Uh, If it is a Biden landslide, that will make it much more difficult for the president to be successful. But I think he will try those anti-democratic measures uh, no, no matter the margin. He is going to be a sore loser. Um, the danger comes if, uh, if it's a narrow margin. Let me say that even if he wins by a narrow or medium margin, I think you're going to see him try to attack the vote, the counting of the vote, made up fraud claims, uh, whipping up his supporters um, to uh, uh, incite uh, 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 protests uh, and uh, otherwise challenging uh, the usual peaceful uh, resolution of uh, electoral disputes the way they're supposed to be resolved, by counting every vote. So we're likely headed for a turbulent peri- period in any circumstance other than a vast uh, Biden win or, of course, a vast Trump win. What you've described, though, as Trump's reluctance to declare explicit um, war on the law, that would become evident in his delegitimizing the results and refusing to honor the results. And in in determining the answer to that question, you do raise the prospect that he could be successful at staying in power, even if Biden were to win. Not if the uh, American people, uh, their uh, elected representatives, government officials, civil society, and the rule of law system itself, including the Constitution, are mobilized to oppose it. Look, when you have 
a trajectory like those first four acts that I described when we're expecting and indeed already seeing these kinds of predations on the election that the president is exhibiting. Um, uh, uh, as I predict at the very end of the uh, book, um, uh, you know, we need to have a very healthy turnout of the voters. I think if people turn out and vote, above all, if they turn out and vote, uh, and it's clear that Biden won the election, uh, Trump will not succeed. Um, now, if the margin is very, very close, then uh, anti-democratic efforts by the president uh, could be outcome determinative. But um, that is in the hands of the American people, which is why I wrote my book and addressed it to them, a case for the American people to make the case, to connect those first four dots, to describe what lies ahead and to have them serve as the ultimate defenders of our democracy. So let's gameplay a scenario as our final premise here, Norm. And that is that it is a nail biter of a contest. And there are certain players in our democracy, senior dignitaries and institutions um, whose civic consciousness has to be on the side of legality. Um, who are those important people and institutions that beyond the voters, um, so let's say protesters in the street come out. Mm -hmm. uh, I would presume one is Mitch McConnell, the other is the Supreme Court. Um, but tell me who you would be looking at in a close election and Trump is starting to delegitimize the results and claim that he's still the president and he was reelected when it was, when it's not nearly clear that he is or was. Well, I would start, I would start with his opponent. Uh, I think the country, the world will be looking to vice president Biden. Um, I think that the, um, uh, the States uh, in a, and, and the federal government, uh, other officials besides the president at the state and federal level will be terribly important in a bipartisan way. I do not have high hopes of Mitch McConnell based on my sustained exposure to him sitting 10 feet away from him for the impeachment trial for two weeks uh, from uh, morning till night. I'm watching uh, his enabling of the president's worst impulses. But I, but others, I was heartened, and I write about it in my book by um, Senator Romney. I think he and other Republican officials, including in the Senate, may say enough is enough. At the state level, you're looking for governors of both parties to speak out, secretaries of state, attorneys general, other state elected officials. Uh, and I think there'll be a very important role for the courts, as you point out. Um, for civil society, both the groups, traditional groups that uh, litigate and monitor elections, uh, the mobilizers. Ultimately, the American people may need, may need to peacefully protest in large numbers. That's often necessary to hang on to democracy. Um, 
And uh, so uh, I think it will require a whole of society mobilization. But I think there's a whole of society revulsion against the president. I like to say, uh, when people ask me why I wrote my book, I like to say it requires three alarms for me to wake up in the morning. The Russia (laughs) investigation was the first alarm for America. The Ukraine was the second. COVID was the third. America is awake now and they see what is coming. They're ready to deal with it. Uh, and I hope to those who've read and enjoyed A Case for the American People that I've contributed uh, to that wake-up call. Just as a final matter, with respect to your insight into the court, we've become accustomed to the court deciding on narrow questions um, about votes in specific states and whether they're eligible or legitimate Mm. votes. But the kind of dispute that we're envisioning here is one in which Donald Trump does not respect the outcome of more than one state. If he were to lose the Electoral College over the determination of, of hours and days, and presumably if he refused to leave office, there, there might be some effort for this to wind up in the Supreme Court um, if protests are not enough um, and if Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and, and, and if in the situation you're describing, Mitch McConnell is silent, Republicans are silent, um, would there be any scenario in which a president's refusal to respect the Electoral College outcome is decided in a Supreme Court decision. Sure. But it's such a volatile and uncertain situation that we it's very difficult to predict whether, when, and if it will end up in the Supreme Court and what will end up in the Supreme Court. Right. Um, I do think that John Roberts, another one, who I was equidistant between John Roberts and Mitch McConnell, uh, in my seat as counsel for the uh, House in the impeachment trial as one of the counsels. And I had an opportunity to study them both. I like to think that the uh, facts that we put on in our case uh, in the trial may have had an impact on the Chief Justice as well. And we'll see uh, whether he swings to join, as he has done on a number of critically important occasions, Um, the uh, four Democratic appointees on the court, if he's presented with some form of that question. um, Chief Justice is a good man. I haven't always agreed with him, but I think if he is confronted with that choice, um, I hope and I believe that he will act to defend our democracy. And as in the Vance and Mazars cases, those were decided seven to two against the president on subpoenas that the president viewed as a threat, uh, that others may join the chief in doing the right thing. Uh, We'll just have to wait and see. Thank you for your insight today, Norman Eisen, author of A Case for the American People, the United States v. Donald J. Trump. Appreciate your insight. Thank you, Alexander, and thanks to all the listeners uh, of The Open Mind for joining us today.